Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, everybody, this is Phil Town. And this is Danielle Town. Welcome to the Invested Podcast. Indeed. Where I am one eye in it today. Oh, man. On our podcast, I feel like the story of our uh, woes continues. (laughs) No, but seriously, my shoulder Uh, turned into an eye. Yeah, Yeah. but you do have two eyes still. Thank goodness. Yeah, just eye surgery is putting you uh, a bit on the what is it? Unifocal. Unit. That's not right. Omni. Uni. I got one eye. That's what I've got. And it's in, in two weeks, I'll have two eyes. So it'd be all, all good. It's healing. Yeah. Uh, it's been, it's been just, entertaining, Danielle, as I was, as I came out of surgery for this uh, glaucoma thing, you know, they put a stent in and it bled. I, I got to be the one in a thousand. It bled in there, caused a big, huge clot. They had to go back in sans anesthesia take the clot out it really was not pleasant freaking tough guy over here by the way that was nasty and then it was like it was like knife wounds in the eyeball for half an hour and then then well so the the answer to the question why on earth would you ever do that because of course that's what i said is that the doctor just thought it would take like very very quick thought it'd be quick in and out yeah Lesson handle learned. it yeah and then it ends up taking an incredibly long time which oh my gosh so yeah. if anybody yeah. wants to stick a knife in anybody's eye tell them to go take 20 minutes and go get the anesthetic drops do that yeah do that the little stick in the in the hand is you know when better. i had eye surgery however many years ago at this point I also had all these complications and it just it took so much longer to heal than they told me it would. Eye surgery is just, maybe it's just us. I don't know, but it's, it can be a real mess and yeah. it's not the kind of thing you can really work around too well when you're, you can't see. So it's not like a botched ankle or something. So it's really a big thing. Yeah. So or a botched collarbone, you know, as the case may be. Well, as so, I'm taking painkillers for the eye, the shoulder pain is feeling away. good. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, yeah, hey, this is great. You know, when I was little and people like I learned that like Tylenol or paracetamol or, you know, like over the counter painkillers existed, ibuprofen. And I was always like, how does it know where to go in the body <laughs> to alleviate right. the pain? Like it didn't, it made no sense to me <laughs> that you would take the same medicine for like a, a hurting back as you would take for a hurting eye 
because how could that medicine possibly know which of those places to go to? And I would ask people, I don't know if I ever asked you, but I, I definitely asked people and they just sort of looked at me like I was crazy. And nobody ever explained to me that it goes all over your whole body. <laughs> for like a long time until I finally figured it out. I think I was a teenager before I sort of discovered that. I probably said something like, oh, it's just really smart. Probably. Just, yeah. <laughs> Wanting you to have That's great faith the kind faith of thing you drug. would say. Yeah. Yeah, it would be. Yeah. Having, uh, as a parent, always having the answer. <laughs> and your child grows up thinking, my parents are crazy. <laughs> Oh, man. I was just well, listening uh, the other day to, yeah, I know we should talk about investing. We should, but I was just should. listening the other day to Smartless with Matthew McConaughey, which just came out. And um, like, I haven't even finished the episode, but the whole thing is just about like parenting and like they're just keep talking about parenting and how do you talk to your kids about hard things. And uh, it's sort of as a non-parent, I'm sort of like, oh, yeah, I guess that's something you have to do a lot it's it seems like a lot of work honestly i think i think parenting is they haven't figured out yet how to train people in parenting so well they have i think it It probably just learn you don't people don't do it we don't do it yeah we don't trust anybody that's going to tell us how to do it and then we don't do it then we don't know what we're doing and then we experiment on the first child, <laughs> you. And then the second one gets ignored because we're overwhelmed by the first one and the second one. It's just ridiculous. And then you start taking folksy wisdom from actors. Yeah, and you hope, you hope the schools will raise your children. You just, <laughs> yeah, folksy wisdom <laughs> from actors. Great. So, yeah, since, hopeless. you know, I'm learning things from you all the way oh, um yeah. should we talk about penny stocks finally? let's do penny stocks finally penny stocks so what the heck is a penny stock maybe we should start there well it used to be a penny stock was a penny stock that is it sold for under a dollar and um they so sold for let it pennies trade. yeah for pennies and they wouldn't let it trade on the major exchanges because it sold for too small of an amount um, and the commissions weren't based on uh, percentages so much as they were just a certain amount per per trade and the combination meant that the really inexpensive or cheap stocks that were selling for pennies would be obliterated by the commission so you'd end up paying as much Oh. for the commission as you would for the stock. Oh, so it went into its own special kind of place, which are called pink sheets. I hadn't thought about it from the perspective of practical who gets paid. So they were separate. That actually makes a lot of sense. They were separated out because the commission to deal with the trade wasn't even worth the time worth or it. the energy to do the actual trade. Well, it wasn't worth it to the person buying the stock. It was the commission was too high back in those days. And then as commissions became a percentage of the trade, then it was not worth it to the person doing the brokerage. It, it was oh. just too small. And um, and so a section of the industry. Wait, so for a while, up. people like stockbrokers were paid like a flat fee. Yeah. Oh, I didn't just, know that. Here's what I charge for that. Um, 
and then for and then a great it became long a percentage. Period, then it was a percentage. Then it okay. was not enough, and um, and then the, the penny stock exchange opened up with brokers who were on the fringe of trying to be in the business. Um, opened up where they they couldn't compete very well with the Morgan Stanleys, the Goldman Sachs of the mm-hmm. world that were well established. They could compete on the fringe of brokerage business with these penny stocks. And they opened up what was called the pink sheets. These were called pink sheets because the trades were done on uh, multiple, what do you call it? You know, like the, the multiple pages that are printed through when you press on them. I forgot oh, what those Oh, yeah. Called. Oh, gosh. What is that called? Yeah. You Where know, it's you like a white one and a yellow one and a pink one. Yeah, so it's when you write on it with a ballpoint pen, it goes yeah, through exactly. all the copies. Right. Triplicate. Right. So you, the brokers would keep the pink sheet, and the pink sheet oh. would be one that would be the the one that determined where that trade had gone through. No and, way. And um, it was all done on paper. Well, why and was so, that called a pink sheet, and the other one, the like larger price, higher price stocks, they didn't use that system? Uh, they didn't use that system. They were okay. on computers at that point in time. Oh, so these ones were small enough that it wasn't no worth. Okay, got it. Yeah. And they were in far flung places like uh, Vancouver had a penny stock exchange and San Francisco had a penny stock exchange. And how did um, anybody make money off of doing that they, off of the transactions they did, they did this bid spread thing between the brokers that were managing these mm-hmm. so that they would there would be a gap between what the client paid uh, for the stock and what the client got for the stock so the person uh. buying it paid a certain amount let's say 10 cents and the person who was selling it got five cents hmm. and the broker took five cents. Yeah. So the brokers would sit in the middle and take, <clears throat> that would be a large one, but they would take an enormous chunk out of the middle uh, on this bid ask structure. Hmm. So it would become just what the traffic would bear. That's all. And since the traffic had really very little idea that this sort of spread was going on and the traffic was quite a lot of ignorant people um, being sold these very illiquid stocks that wouldn't trade very often. Um, The brokers were getting away with this stuff. Why was the traffic ignorant people? Well, how could, how could people who weren't well versed in the world of stocks and companies even get access to such a, it sounds difficult to access exchange if it doesn't even have computers. At Very time. difficult to access exchange. So here's how you get access to it. You're an attorney uh, and you get on a list somehow. Yeah. And a broker calls you up cold oh. and says, have I ever got, you know, you're on this list or you answered a card. You sent in a card from, um, you know, business magazine mm-hmm. that you would be interested in looking at some good deals have i ever got a deal for you hmm. did you ever see wolf of wall street no i haven't seen it oh it's good 
Yeah, I know. It's on it's on the list. Oh my god. By the way, this just reminded me about Netflix. I have to like issue a huge mea culpa about Netflix because I'm sure everybody listening to me is like, Danielle, you're an idiot. You know how I complained so much about how Netflix doesn't have like a different account for me and for Nuno and we like to watch different things. It turns out they totally have that. And it's this thing at the beginning when you open it up, it says who's logging in or something like that. And I always thought I always thought that that was just like whoever's account it was. But it turns out you can make multiple of those, whatever that is. <laughs> I don't even know. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I just didn't know what that was. So sorry, Netflix. And sorry to everybody who had to listen to me complain oh, about no. that over and over. Oh, no. I didn't know. And my wonderful brother-in-law was like, Danielle, Hello. Like, you can make that. They've had that since the beginning. <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> All right, aside. So Wolf of Wall Street keeps coming up in our Netflix list. And I keep on being like, ugh, it sounds really like serious and intense. And I don't feel like it. Oh, yeah. Well. Um, Does it involve pink sheets? Yeah. With supply chains becoming more complex, you need to stay on top of the latest logistics developments. So if you work with logistics, you need the Beyond the Box podcast from Maersk. It's the easy way to keep up to date with everything from digital disruption and logistics to the need for supply chain resilience in today's market. Find out more and keep ahead of the game with the Beyond the Box podcast on logistics insights at maersk.com insights. What are you looking up now? You're looking up something I'm looking at Wolf of Wall Street right now. Oh. It's- hilarious yeah so um yes it involves pink sheets so what happened was this guy named jordan belfort was hired uh by a main street wall street firm to um sell stocks wait is it a real is it a true story yeah oh true story so we could just like end the podcast and much like a day of substitute teaching, we could just watch the movie. <laughs> we could just put the movie on right now, and you guys. Can... <laughs> How much could we play from the fair use exception? Oh Let's play like thirty seconds and be like, "There you go. There's the movie." <laughs> That'd be so great. It really would be just the first part of the movie, actually. We could probably get away with it in the next 20 minutes. <laughs> where it's the movie setup where Jordan realizes that, you know, he's it's just all about the money. There, He's trained by a trainer. At, I mean, this could be a Jeffries company or a Morgan Stanley or Goldman, it doesn't say. Mm-hmm. But he's trained by his trainer that it's not about the client. It's about you, the broker, making money. It's like... We just keep them in the deals. We just keep them rolling to the next deal, to the next deal, to the next deal. Mm-hmm. And, you know, um, and really it's just about us making money. We and make he, money on the transactions, not on, the transactions. on anything that happens after the transaction Don't worry is about done. That. We could care Don't worry less about, about that. that. That's up to somebody else. Yeah, exactly. Right. So um, then Belfort, I think he gets laid off in some big Wall Street layoff thing. And he is um, walking through a strip mall and he sees this sign 
for a brokerage, just in a strip mall. So he walks in and he sees his four or five guys and they're in there trying to sell something over the phone. Mm-hmm. And Belfort's looking for a job. So he says, Wait, what time period are we in? 1980s, I think. Ah, uh, okay. Thank you. 80s or 90s. And um, and so Belford says, they say, he said, I'm looking for a job. And they said, we don't need anybody. And she says, let me, let me handle this phone call. So he gets on, he gets on and cold calls somebody and sells them 30,000 shares of a company he's never heard of in his life. <laughs> Just hyping up this penny stock as the new next fabulous tech breakthrough mm-hmm. that everybody's trying to get their hands on and his firm has an allocation and you've indicated you want to roll the dice. Well, this is the dice right now. And you either got to go or no go. This is it. And he does this sales pitch that's really potent. And the guy buys. And everybody in this office just sits there with their jaws agape at what they just heard. They never (laughs) heard anything like this guy. And so he gathers them in and ultimately ends up running this firm. And um, and it's quite quite entertaining watching them learn how to do what he's doing. And gradually he builds this firm um, bigger and bigger and bigger until it starts to become representing some really big companies that turn out to be really big companies. Um, not Jimmy Choo, but another one that's prominent in the movie, a shoe company that he takes public. And it's big and it's real. But in any case, that's that's the sort of as the whole movie goes along. He's making so much money. He's taking money to Switzerland in in cash to get it out of the United States because they're worried about the SEC shutting them down, Hmm. uh, which they ultimately do. And they catch him moving the money and they put him in jail for a while. Okay, don't uh, tell me the end of the movie, though. Well, you're I've been on stage with Belfort, actually. Okay. Uh, up with uh, uh, a a series of talks I did in Canada, and um, and Belfort got into the he got into the producer you know Salim uh, led him on stage and he didn't do well. Um, he he's trying to sell a um, a sales course that where you can learn how to sell like that, I guess, sell anything sort of deal. Okay. But it's a little hard to put a lot of faith in a guy who's, you know, complete scam artist. I don't so, know. Is he a complete scam artist? Is that what yeah. the movie's about? Okay. Okay, don't yeah. tell me anything else. I want to watch the movie now. Well, Margot Robbie's in it. And Great. Uh, and uh, Leonardo God, I have DiCaprio. not seen the Barbie movie either, and that's... I started watching that. Gotta um, watch. I couldn't watch it. Ugh, well. I just couldn't watch it. I haven't it. seen it, but from what I understand, you're seriously missing out. Yeah, I couldn't watch it. I couldn't so, get past the intro. Okay. I don't but know what that is. So, yeah, I'm definitely going to watch it. So, okay, we got off on this guy who they made a movie about, who you met, who seems scammy. Pink Sheets. Right. They... So Jordan was selling pink sheet stocks. And that's how people okay. like you might hear about one is a boiler room, which is a name for a group of guys sitting in a room who are just pounding the phones. 
Is that true? Because there's another movie called The Boiler Room. Oh, yeah. With Ben Affleck. How many freaking movies do people make about penny stocks? Jeez. It's good. It's good fodder. Um, Because in order in order to because nobody hears about these companies. Right. And there's such a huge spread between the bid and the ask that you'd think that would be enough. But that's not enough. Guys like Belfort um, would. It's not enough for the brokers to make money. No. Okay. So what some guys would do in boiler room operations, I don't know if Jordan Belfort did this. I think they just took commissions. But what they would do in boiler room operations is they would buy the stock cheap. They would get in there and start buying it up a little bit at a time, not affecting the price. So let's say the stock is 10 cents. They would buy up a whole bunch of it at 10 cents. Then they would get on and sell it to people like, you know, a lawyer or dentist or doctor who was on somebody's list, newest, hottest thing. And they would drive the price up with these sales coming in and they would mm-hmm. unload into the higher prices. So make and the market make, essentially. Yeah, they'd make a commission and become the market. And then as they got out toward the end of their exit, the price would start coming down mm-hmm. as people would want to then exit. The price had gone up, they'd want to exit. There's no yeah, more buyers. And there's no, so it's a, a nice right. little Ponzi scheme basically. Exactly. And the price would crash. So this this Jeez, is the, the thing that with penny is stocks. horrible. Oh yeah, it's a it's a really dangerous place to play. It's very lightly regulated. Um, the SEC does regulate it sort of. Um, there's no real trading floor. Um, the SEC basically is saying that they they will regulate it, but. They're not going to regulate it aggressively for any trade that's less than $5. And so um, it's basically pink sheets. Markets are very thinly regulated. Um, I'm just looking right now to see what they say that they're doing. Um, so it's Wild West, essentially. Yeah, the FBI says there's fraud confidence. is widespread in the penny market. Um with various, these are by these are micro cap markets. These, these are really small companies. Yeah. Um, you know, a few million dollars kind of things, and uh, it gets very difficult to cash out if if nobody's a buyer. I mean, frankly, from you know that sounds bad, right? But like from a policy perspective, or maybe just from a practical perspective. In my opinion, the SEC already does a pretty bad job of regulating the enormous companies that it really should be all over and often isn't. And I would prefer that they put their resources into that side of the market than try to track down, well, I don't know how many there are, a thousand tiny little itty companies that... uh, that keep poor records. So that makes sense to me that they've just said, you know what, buyer beware. We're not really handling this. It's your loss or your gain. Yeah. Yeah. I uh, I mean, people lose a lot of money. Um, the mafia got into penny stock manipulation. They think that um, people have lost about $2 billion a year in schemes and continue to do so. The FBI ran a sting operation on the Colombo crime family on uh, securities fraud. 
So it's it's wide open uh, for well because there's such low liquidity, right? So yeah, anybody such low liquidity. who has the cash to buy enough to make the price move dramatically can. So yeah, yeah uh, I don't I, I don't I've know how it. you would even change that. You wouldn't. That's just how it how, that's how it would work. Yeah, no, I've done it. It's really easy to do. I'm, I found a a, a company that made a small device you could put on a car. Um, this is sort of pre-GPS being everywhere kind of stuff. Hmm. You'd clip it on a car and the company thought it would go really big on the rental car units, uh, keeping track of their rental cars, which of course it has through other larger organizations. But this was early on, probably 20 years ago or something. Like the and Tom, Tom Doug, or something? Remember Doug Loniker? He and I found this thing. <laughs> I think Doug found it. He said, all right, let's let's put a little money on this. It was 13 cents a share. Mm-hmm. And Doug and I both started buying it. We put in about $10,000 each and drove it to 87 cents a share. Wow. Before we got 20 grand into the thing. Just the two of you. Just the two of us. Yeah. What what was your reaction? Like one, okay, so many questions. One, did you expect that? No, not like that. That's eight to one. So you thought that there were- that was that were... was over a solid week of slowly really? buying. Yeah. <clears throat> it would get so the you did floor. expect it to the point where you thought I better be careful go and tiptoe in here. Yeah. Okay. But we would buy in and then it wouldn't come down. Uh-huh. Because nobody was selling. Huh. Somebody, everybody who owned it was like, yeah, this is going to be Was great. like, oh, look, somebody's buying. Like, yeah, we're, there we're must staying be good in. news on the horizon. Yeah. So just the... Well, you're buying from somebody, obviously, right? But like, uh, they want a higher and higher price. Yeah, higher and higher price. Wow. And so, 87 cents. And then we thought, okay, well, this has been entertaining. Um, let's get out. Uh-huh. And it continued up to a buck and a quarter <gasps> as we started to get out. So, the, the initial removal so wait, of like... you are the manipulative market maker just kind of inadvertently inadvertently and and without any malintention right but now we've got this huge profit Jeez. and we wanted to take it because sure. now we think this thing is it's way overpriced at this point and so we start to wait, take wait, profit. wait 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 more questions did you intend to own it for 10 years was it that kind of company no. or was this just a like risky like let's this just sort risky of see we don't really know how big this market is how uh, who's buying how who's good selling this company is. let's we don't see what's happening good the management is we don't know anything this is loniker wanting to do some trading and i followed him in okay so you were fine after a week being like eh, i never really yeah, never cared really, that much never, okay yeah got it so I'm, I'm not doing rule one here got it so um but I was fascinated to do it. And I was fascinated that even as we got out, it went to a buck and a quarter. So it's yeah. starting to get out, but only the initial exit. So just the first couple thousand bucks and okay. it kept going up because uh-huh. people were now engaged with it and starting to buy in. And I bet after a week it would start popping up on those penny stock screens of like, ah, oh, stocks that are, did. well, if this was in the computer era it was in the computer era right yeah internet yeah oh yeah this is yeah yeah so that means people could see it and um and yeah i wonder if it's like oh it's a 
stock that's getting bought for some reason going up. Yeah. Yeah. What for some that? reason. Right. So people are buying in 10X, as yeah. we sell, but then our selling volume got too much uh-huh. and it started coming down and it came down like a brick. Oh my God. Everybody was dumping. We couldn't get out at any price. <laughs> no. We ended up getting out almost all of it at about 10 cents. Whoa. So we ended up basically breaking even. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It was amazing. And it took a long time to get out. We we really ended up getting out at 10 cents, but taking another week to 10 days to get out at that price. So there was just no market there at all. Everybody was selling, you know, it's like first everybody's saying, oh, good news is happening. And now everybody's saying, oh, bad news is happening. Yeah. It's just this huge roller coaster ride. So yeah. the lack of liquidity, the lack of, of information mm-hmm. uh, creates such huge volatility in that market that that's what you have to be aware of. Plus the fact that you're going in with any kind of real money means you are a little bit the institutional investor. Yes, you're, you're exactly. dealing with that same exact problem of having a lot of money you've got to get in to make sense out of this in the first place. And that creates its own problems. So if what? you don't want to feel like what it is like to be institutional, yeah, go buy some penny stocks and you can see it. Well, that was my first question is like, what was your emotional reaction to that? Were you kind of like, freaked out or was it just exciting or like what what was was it like a big thing or was it just something you didn't care about like what well, was the situation I had that a, week I had a theory going right about all this but I, I was astonished honestly at how illiquid the market got as we started to exit yeah. I was absolutely astonished I thought it would be sort of slowly going down but it didn't slowly going down it cratered down and, and gapped down big chunks at a time, you know, 20 cents, 30 cent gaps. Wow. Oh yeah, it was nasty. And then it would fill just a few shares and then it would just gap again. And it was really brutal trying to how, get out. Do you remember how the transactions were paid at that point? Like, do you think there was a third party there sort of setting the prices like you were saying before, or was it uh, percentage based? Oh no! It was it was spreads. It was the, spreads. The brokers were doing spreads, mm-hmm. right? And so you end up paying this huge commission. They were eating up the commissions. The commissions were huge. That's why, even though you theoretically got out at some price, you didn't get paid that price. Mm. You got paid a very much smaller piece of that. And at the end of the day, they the only ones that make any money were the brokers. Wow. Yeah. So I it's why this, uh, that's so interesting to me. I think it's because when when I think of penny stocks, small, very low price stocks, and you think of like what do you want to have happen? That's what you want to have happen. Like it's like, oh, I bought this stock at thirteen cents and it went up to whatever you said, a dollar ten. This is amazing. Like this is I'm the greatest investor in the world. Right and. Right. And so to like live that experience that everybody wants, as opposed to, let's say, buying it at 13 cents and it just sits there at 13 cents and you're like, all right, what do I do now? (laughs) Um, Is this thing like ever, I guess I'm going to own it for 10 years. Um, 
I just find that to be so interesting that you went on the ride everybody wants. And instead of holding on and being like, yeah, this is what I wanted, you took it as a negative sign. Yeah. I mean, I'm not sure what would happen if we just stayed with it. I mean, ultimately, I'm sure because the company lost out to better technology. So well, it went, because it's, it's to me, it's such higher level thinking because somebody who's going like, yeah, that means the stock is worth that much, right? right. Like that's what most people think. Oh, finally, that's the market's recognizing right. just like I did that it's worth a dollar fifty or whatever right number. But instead you saw like, oh no, this is a huge sign that I am the market and nobody else is like, this is not liquid enough for me to have security. Yep. So That's some of the, wild. some of the major things I would say you should watch out for is, um, you know, the obvious stuff, which is you're going to get less public disclosure from a penny stock company because they don't have to, it's, you're going to get it manipulated, easily manipulated. So if you see the stock price starting to fire off, I'd be very, very careful. Um, these are already high risk companies. And if you want to avoid a scam, you really got to understand the the management team of this company. Well, and we need to get into those things because how we got started talking about this was maybe penny stocks are a great idea for long-term investors. Right on. They can be. <laughs> they can, and you can be. And they can make a lot of money for a short-term investor too. Well, and it could be a great a great way to find a great company that could be a hundred bagger, like could be a huge um, hundredfold return. Yeah. So maybe next time we could talk about how you should decide whether you could actually yes, be a please. good person Indeed. to do this kind of stuff. What, what would you need to, you know, what kind of skill set would you need to have? Yeah. And then I people think do um, make money in this stuff. It sounds like watching Wolf of Wall Street is a key component I think it'd so absolutely be a wonderful assignment. Maybe I'll actually click on it. Should do that. <laughs> Until next time. <laughs> <laughs> Until then. Go okay. watch Wolf of Wall Street. Exactly. <laughs> Thanks, everybody. Bye. Bye, guys. Hi, guys. Thanks for listening to Invested. If you enjoyed this episode and you want more information or to listen to additional episodes, visit our website at investedpodcast.com and sign up for my virtual workshop right there. Spots are definitely limited for this event. I'm not kidding. They really are. They sell out very quickly. So everything discussed on this podcast, by the way, is either my opinion or it's Danielle's opinion. And I'm really important. It's not to be taken as investing advice because I am not your financial advisor nor have I considered your personal situation as your fiduciary. So remember that. You're on your own here. This podcast is for your entertainment and education only, and I really hope you enjoyed it. <laughs>